favorite baseball player to follow, and still now, even as a bigger kid, he's still my favorite baseball player, was George Brett. And I remember I spent a lot of time reading about him and trying to learn and, and, and even tried to mimic his swing a little bit and things like this. And I uh, learned that when he first came into the major leagues in the end of the 70s, uh, he struggled a whole lot. They sent him back down to the minors, and then they got him connected to a hitting coach named Charlie Lau. And I just remember thinking, man, how awesome would it be to sit in the dugout and listen to Charlie Lau teach this kid how to swing, and now he became a Hall of Fame baseball player. There's a, a, a guy by the name of Christian Gottlieb Nifa. He, uh, you probably have never heard of him before, but he was the principal piano instructor of Beethoven. How cool would it have been to be able to sit in the classroom as this guy is probably yelling at his student who's probably yelling at him back, telling him, you're not playing this song correctly. I mean, how cool would it be to see someone tell Beethoven that? There's these four friends uh, at the beginning of the, uh, 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 the beginning of last century who, who kind of served, they served in the First World War, they didn't know they were serving together, um, but then they ended up on the same college campus in Oxford. Uh, their names are Owen Barfield, Charles, William, Charles Williams, Clive Staples Lewis, and J.R.R. Tolkien. And after the war, they kind of ran into each other at Oxford and then for almost three decades, they would meet twice a week, once uh, on Tuesdays in one of the dorm rooms at Oxford, and then on Thursdays they would meet in the pub, and they would write and write and write and then share their writings with each other and then have these discussions about things going on in the world, even led their buddy C.S. Lewis to know Jesus. And I sit here and I think, how cool would it be to be a fly on the wall at that pub, listening to them share their stories together, share their war experiences together, craft things like these made-up places like Narnia, and, 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 and talk about how I've got this story about this ring, and they got to get this ring into uh, this fire. What do you think? How do you think this will play out? And they would read these rough drafts together. How cool would it be just to sit in the room and listen to, to, listen to them have these conversations? Man, to be a fly on these walls, having these seats in these master classes. Also, kind of pull back from that a little bit, just hearing someone tell these people who are the best at their craft that they're not good enough yet would be kind of fun to hear, <laughs> funny to see. But no matter what you would hear in some of these places, no matter what you would witness or what you would view, or no matter how great of an education you would get in these places, it pales in comparison to what our disciples were able to witness with the resurrected Jesus after, after the resurrection, after he made these appearances at the beginning of Acts. Man, to sit down with him and just listen to the teacher who has been resurrected. There is no wall big enough for those who want to be flies on it. Uh, to be able to do that. We're going to be in Acts chapter 1 today. But know that this chapter in the story covers the first 12 chapters of Acts. Um, you guys will not give me enough time to go through all 12 chapters this morning to be able to do this, but I do want to read just the beginning of Acts chapter 1 so that we can get a sense of what it's like to be in this master class that has never been afforded since then. 
and has never been experienced up to this point. Look at Acts chapter 1. We're just going to start in the very beginning. In the first book, this is Luke writing, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. See, that's the master class right there. Verse 4, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when the Lord had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and then to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and on a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by, stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Man, how wild would it be to witness that? How neat would it be just to see the resurrected uh, Jesus, the resurrected teacher, show back up and spend 40 days with him? And then you see him get taken up on a cloud, and it's just like this one incredible moment after incredible moment after incredible moment. Last week, Rick unpacked for us in an unbelievable way what some of the disciples got to experience with the resurrection, some of the unique conversations they got to have. We got to see Thomas uh, take on this kind of weird title that he gets for the rest of his life, but thank God he asked the question so that we could see the physicalness of being able to touch the holes in Jesus' skin. We got to see stories of Jesus walking through walls after the resurrection. We got to see him helping his buddies catch fish, and they had meals together, and they got to have these experiences and conversations together. But can you imagine the types of questions that would happen to Jesus for 40 straight days after that? I mean, what kind of questions would you ask him? He starts talking about baptism and Holy Spirit. Whoa, we've even got it all written down, and we have questions for him about those things. You could tell that they were still a little bit confused. Hey, hey, Jesus, uh, now that you're back, are you going to be the king? Are you going to be the king? And I love his response. You're kind of missing the point. First of all, I've always been the king. And second of all, don't worry about the timing of that stuff. Don't worry about the timing of that stuff. Because what's going to happen to you is that the Holy Spirit's going to show up, and he's going to show up in power, and you're going to do things that you have never done before. Master class. Master class. It had all the elements you needed. The teacher. Not just a teacher, but the resurrected teacher. And talking to them about, hey, here's the things that are about to happen. And you know they believed it because they just witnessed the greatest miracle in history. The curriculum. There's never been a curriculum like this curriculum in this class. And he tells us this at the end of verse 3. He says, it's the kingdom of God. He was teaching them the things of the kingdom of God. But what makes this a master class isn't just the teacher or the curriculum. 
but it's the timing. But it's the timing. So much of what Jesus' ministry uh, entailed was telling him, here's what the kingdom of God is like. And so much of what his followers were doing was questioning him about this, struggling to put it together. And because of the timing of this class, things started to click. It started to make sense. Oh, the resurrection. This is what you were talking about, Jesus. Oh, these final instructions about going to these places, to Jerusalem and Judea and to Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. I get what you were saying, Jesus. I get it. And then they got to witness the ascension. And Jesus said, just be patient on this. Just be patient on this. And then this is what happened in chapter, at the beginning of chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. See, this power thing that Jesus was talking about, man, it showed up. This spirit thing that Jesus was talking about showed up. This baptism thing that Jesus was talking about, it was happening. The timing was critical. The timing was critical. Pastor David Hubbard Hubbard says that there are three realities of God's kingdom that the disciples experienced at this time. He said the first, uh, the first reality of God's kingdom that they got to experience was the certainty of God's kingdom. Jesus' multiple appearances after the Easter event proved that he was alive. I mean, think of the before. Think about the disciples being frightened. Think of them being anxious and confused. Some of them even feeling guilty. You think that they thought back to these experiences with Jesus even before the crucifixion? Do you think they thought back to the Last Supper? Do you think they thought back to conversations they had in the boat, witnessing uh, miraculous feedings, witnessing miraculous healings? See Christ's presence with them in this moment, uh, not just one time, but for 40 days. See, they couldn't be confused that this was some kind of weird dream or some kind of weird illusion. But Jesus appeared for them for more than 40 days, and in 1 Corinthians 15, we're told that he appeared before 500 different people. What does this mean? Imagine their conversations. Like, oh, I get it. I get it. This is what he was talking about. See, the certainty of Jesus' lordship is in witnessing the ascension after the resurrection. The timing was perfect. Hubbard then says the second reality is the power of God's kingdom. And this is what Jesus promised them. See, up to this point, the disciples should be commended on their loyalty and their devotion to Jesus, but all along the way, they expressed doubt after doubt after doubt and faithlessness after faithlessness after faithlessness. And they stumbled just like you and I do along the way. See, they quarreled and argued. They were worried. They expressed fear. And even to the point of the ascension, are you going to be this earthly king now? Are you going to step into this role we've been expecting you to step into? But this is not what this curriculum is about, not in this crash course seminar. It's not the times and seasons that you should be worried about, he says. This course is about the power you're about to receive. The disciples live in boldness and assurance from this point on. Those who were quarreling and arguing and worrying and scared, they were now preaching and standing up to forces against them. They became missionaries to foreign lands. They experienced imprisonments because of what they had to say and what they did. They experienced hardships 
but also express compassion to those who have never experienced it before. They, they developed connections even to those who didn't live like them. They developed an integrity that they have never been able to have for themselves. And the list goes on and on and on. See, the timing of this part of the story made the difference when you talk about the Holy Spirit. It was after the resurrection and after Easter becomes kingdom time. They got to experience power. The third thing Hubbard says um, uh, uh, concerning the reality of God's kingdom, concerning the reality of this curriculum, is the scope of the kingdom. You see, the disciples viewed others differently after Easter. God's kingdom is not a landlocked territory now. It's about people. You'll become my witnesses in Jerusalem, and then to Judea, and then to Samaria. Oh, and then to the end of the earth. It is not about property, but about people. Folks like the woman at the well now take on new meaning. They get that story now. They get that experience now. Guys like a bully named Saul could encounter God's kingdom and then eventually become one of its biggest advocates and end up taking the gospel to places like Ephesus and then across the seas to Rome and desiring to take it even beyond the Roman kingdom into Spain and westward and northward. I mean, think about all the crazy, insane, and beautiful testimonies that make up the church. Families reconciling, marriages being saved, addiction and bondage being broken, slavery ended. Think about what your life was like before knowing Jesus and what you are now. And bet, I remember uh, one baptism Sunday, I got to meet with a man here, and we got to talk and pray together for a while. And then he said, you know what, I think we need to go ahead and be baptized. And we came through this curtain right over here, and I stepped into the water, and I reached my hand out to receive him to come down. And he paused, and he just stayed right there. And I said, hey, man, you all right? And he legitimately thought that if he stepped into this water, it's going to start fizzing and bubbling. Because you don't understand the things that I've done and who I've been. I'm like, man, you know what? There isn't a single one of us who were hesitating to walk down there, not understanding the fullness of God's grace. And it's all because the scope of God's kingdom is not a territory. It's a people. It's a people. Hubbard says of this, he says, but the scope of the kingdom of God has reached us all as Jesus promised that it would when the church goes out and that relay race of witnesses was carried on with the baton undropped and the spirit to the runners unflagging. And it came to me, and it came to you. This is after Easter. It's mission time. It's witness time. It's kingdom time. So what does all this mean? What does all this mean with God's kingdom coming in, in, in this way and, and showing up during this time? What's that mean for us? What do we do with all of that? Well, I think when we study this part of the story and we look at this chapter in the story and we see the upper story developing in ways that become very tangible for us and we see God's redemptive plan being very, very clear and then our lower story is to accept that and to step into that and we get to experience the redemption for ourselves and not only hold it for ourselves, but it flows through us and others get to experience it for us. I think we see five basic responses that happen when God's kingdom shows up at this time after the resurrection. I think our first response is to do this. I think the first thing we need to do is think and to engage our brains into what's going on right here. 
this, this walk of faith, this experience of faith through the things that are spelled out through this story, man, shame on us if we don't engage our brains in this. The, the gospel is at first the renewing of the mind. It's at first the renewing of the mind. Satan is defeated. Death is vanquished. The penalty of sin is paid. And in whatever circumstance that you find yourself in, the power of the king is present with you. That requires an intent on our part to know that and to believe on that and to walk into that. God's kingdom is with you in whatever experience or circumstance you find yourself in. There's the rehabilitation of the oppressed as the gospel is preached to the poor and the captives are set free and the church is formed as it is here for mission, for worship, for nurture, and for our fellowship. Amazing things have happened because the believers of Christ have put their minds on the things of God. I think the second response that we get to encounter, we get to, uh, 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 get to do in response to God's present kingdom is that we observe. We simply observe. Look around. The evidence of God's kingdom is all around us. For some, some of us, we see it in creation. And others, we see it in some interpersonal relationships that we have. Whenever loneliness overwhelms you and something says that Something says within you that Christ loves me. He is for me. He is here with me. That's the presence of the kingdom. Whenever you do something wrong and the grace of God floods your life and gives you this amazing gift of repentance, and you say, I'm sorry, and you receive again forgiveness and grace that only comes from God, that's the presence of God's kingdom. Whenever your natural response would be to retaliate, but you don't, where your kind word confronts the harsh word of someone else, that's the presence of God's kingdom. Wherever it would be easy to turn your back on someone in need, but instead you pause and turn around and you offer your hand in help. See, that's the work of the kingdom. And our job is to treasure that and to rejoice in it, to look at it, to observe it. And just be in it. Because that's, that's what makes us who we are as people who are believers in Christ. Our third response then is to testify. The author of Hebrews tells us that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. So we need to join the chorus. There is no CPR or artificial respiration that you could have offered that could have raised Jesus from the dead and launched the days of the kingdom. There is no gimmicky argument that you can use that will open up a stubborn heart and bring the light of the gospel into the life of that person. You see, that's the work of the Spirit. I remember learning when my name was inserted into this kind of wooden makeshift box as a prayer request when I was in high school. Someone was praying for me to come to know the grace that God has to offer. And the way that that happened was through testifying. Someone witnessed that to me. Someone told me of the goodness of God. And they told it to me for a long, long, long time before I started to get it. And testimony is a big deal. That's the work of the Spirit. 
testifying is of the gospel, and we're not telling what I'm good at or what I'm doing or how powerful I am, but we're telling about the work of Christ in me, telling of the work of Christ in you. This is who I was, this is what Christ is doing in me, and this is who I am now. And we're joining a massive choir when we do that. Our fourth response then is to wait. Is to wait. We are in a position now to wait for the fullness of the kingdom. To wait for all of it to show up. I love this statement. And I don't know where I got it from, but it says this. We live between the empty tomb and the coming cloud. What a magnificent time it is to live. With all the assurance of the past history on our side and all of the hope of prophecy yet to be fulfilled before us, we carry on our work and we carry it on with joy. Now, if I'm being completely honest with you, I hate waiting. I hate waiting. There could be a line with just one person in it and I start to get anxious. I start to get frustrated already. I'm not the greatest patient driver that has ever lived. I'm not great when I have to go pay for something um, and I have to wait for people to get through first. I'm not great when I see someone without a checkbook when they could have used a card or you paid in cash real fast. I'm not good at waiting. But there's a story I read of a guy who's mu- <laughs> who got much better at it than I did. His name is Alexander Sirk. Alexander Sirk met somebody online, and he began this relationship with her, but she lived in China. Fed up with the distance between them, he got a visa, he booked a flight, and he flew 5,000 miles to go see her. He'd sent her a picture of his itinerary, but when he arrived at the airport, she was nowhere to be found. Convinced that she would eventually come for him, Cirque decided to stay at the terminal and patiently waited for her. Patiently indeed, 10 days later, a frail-looking Cirque was taken to a hospital. And what about this lady that he was waiting for? Well, a Chinese TV team was able to find her, and she confessed that she thought Cirque was joking about the trip. Now, though hopefully none of us have ever had to be hospitalized after waiting around for days and days and days for something, those feelings of hopefulness that turn into hopelessness and patience that turns into impatience might sound familiar to us. And thankfully, when we're waiting on answers to things like prayer and God's presence and God uh, to answer certain things, we can know that God has heard us. He didn't just think that we were only joking about it. You see, after the resurrection, because it's kingdom time, God's presence is already with us. He's already answered the greatest prayer and petition that we have ever brought before him, and that is our need for salvation. So we wait on him. We wait on him. And finally, I think our response is to remember. Man, the word remember is probably the most Uh, often cited command that we have in the New Testament. Remember, remember, remember. It's easy when someone asks you where you live for you to tell, "I, I live in Derby, Kansas. I live in Rose Hill, Kansas. I live in Mulvane. I live in Hayesville. I live in Wichita. Wherever it is that you live. But where you really live is after Easter. You live in a land where forgiveness through the grace of Jesus Christ is possible. You live in a land where love can be the new style of life because of the power of the Holy Spirit. 
You live in a place where witnesses need to be born and be born to the ends of the earth. You live in a land where the triumph of Christ is being celebrated today by scores of millions and millions of people around the world. You live in that after Easter land, the Easter story with its certainty, with its power, with its scope, brought home to you the message of the fullness of God's grace and his kingdom. We live in that space right now, and our call is to experience that and to respond to it. See, the timing of this makes all the difference. You and I live after Easter, and that is kingdom time. God's kingdom is present in his people. After Easter, many witnessed what happened to the disciples when the Holy Spirit descended upon them. They began to speak in different tongues and languages, yet everyone could hear what they said in their own native tongue. Accused of being drunk early in the morning, Peter stepped up and boldly and gracefully unpacked the very first sermon of the church. And we read that more than 3,000 people responded and came forward that day and said, Peter, what do we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive this gift of the Holy Spirit. See, ever since, there's been a parade of the proud and the meek, the rich and the poor, the powerful and the pitiful, and people from all walks of life and every tongue, tribe, and nation who have paraded into these waters not to get wet, but to be immersed in the Holy Spirit and join in the cloud of those who, whose lives have become radically transformed and their stories to be renewed in purpose and in spirit. So many have stepped into these new beginnings, and it's possible that it's your turn to do that today. And so here in a moment, we're going to sing a song. And as we're singing, if you're wanting these new beginnings to step into the kingdom time, we've got people at our decision point who are going to love to be able to pray with you through that. Maybe you're struggling like some of these folks have struggled in, in, in the beginning of Acts, just going, what do we do? What do I do with this circumstance I find myself in? Those folks at the decision point would love to pray with you about that as well. So would you stand as we sing, and if you've got a choice to make, find yourself, uh, make your way over to the decision point, and we'd love to help you out with that.